Well, let's get in the Word. I want to look with you tonight out of Matthew's Gospel. And uh, chapter 16, beginning at verse 13. And uh, kind of guess, let's, let's recap a little bit where we've been this week. Um, Sunday night, we basically looked at, you know, there's a difference between outside activities uh, defining who we are and inside identity. Let me say that again. Okay. There's a difference between your act, outside activities. And what I mean by outside activities, there's a difference in just, you know, what we do and who you are on the inside. You know, in other words, you can go to church on Sunday, you can read your Bible, you can even pray, you can have a lot of spiritual things in your life. But if that's not in the right motive, if it's not coming out of this heart that is in right relationship with Jesus, it doesn't count. Showing up to church on Sunday does not make you a Christian. You know, saying, hey, well, I, I, you know, I'm, I'm not a bad guy. Well, I, I'm, you know, well, I'm not a serial killer. Okay. Big fan. Okay. I love it. I love that you're not a serial killer. It doesn't mean you're a child of God. Because what it means to be a Christian is God has literally come inside of your body. If you're a Christian, you have two people living inside of you, you and God. You're a temple. And He literally changes you. What prohibits that is what we looked at on Monday night, which is sin. Sin separates you from God. It just, it just does. Because sin in its essence is, is, we looked at James chapter 2, verses 1 through uh, 13, which we looked at the different kinds of sin, 33 different Greek words, and um, it's on my website. In fact, I was going to tell you, um, you can, if you can spell my name, Jeremiah Bolick, and if not, it's written around here somewhere, and go to our website. You can go to our Podbeam. We have a podcast, and there's 100 or so um, studies, and they're downloadable. It's all free there, and you can follow us, and uh, they're all that what we looked at this week's on the, on the website. But when we looked at the idea of sin, uh, you know, in terms of rebellion, what hinders us from God is looking at him and saying, how you see, I don't want to see. How you feel, I don't want to feel. What you're into, I don't want to be into. That separates us from God. And then uh, last night, what did we look at last night? Anybody remember? John, John chapters 1 through 6. Whew, I didn't remember. Jesus being chased yeah, Jesus being chased around. John chapters 1 through 6, that church is just not about you. And it is. I mean, Jesus was aggressive. Unless you, he says this in every gospel. Unless you're willing to die to yourself, take up your cross, and follow him, go find something else. Go find something else. Because what it means to be a disciple is that, I, hey, I, it's not about me, it's about him. And uh, so I want to encourage you tonight, and I want to describe, if I can, just a little bit more about who we are. And uh, this is, you're, you're now advanced, so you're in the advanced program throughout the week, okay? So this is going to be a little bit more technical, and we're going to look at some original language, but I think you're ready, right? I think you're ready. And I want to look at Matthew chapter 16. This is one of my favorite passages to study, and it's, it, honestly, I, I've read it, and, but, and I've kind of poked around at it, but uh, this last... Uh, seven months or eight months, I really did a detailed, in-depth study on uh, Peter's confession of Jesus 
as the Christ. I want to walk you through this. It's pretty cool. In fact, let me just read it, and then we're going to go back and look at, uh, at these specific verses and some of the phrasing, some of the language, and we're just going to ask the Holy Spirit to help us. Verse 13, where it begins, Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, and he asked his disciples, who do the people say the Son of Man is? And they replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, still others, Jeremiah. You always listen to the prophet Jeremiah. Or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked, what do you say? And Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ, son of the living God. And Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah. Gets real formal. For this was not revealed to you by man, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church. And the gates of Hades will not overcome it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he warned his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Christ. Which, that's weird. Verses 13 through 20. First thing he says is Jesus, he comes to the, uh, it's the uh, anecdotal note that Jesus um, has come into the area of Caesarea Philippi. So this whole conversation takes place in this area. And why that's mentioned, because he doesn't do that oftentimes. I mean, he doesn't do it every time. And why that's important is some of the language that Jesus uses, namely that the gates of Hades down in verse um, 18, that reference would be really significant in this area. And if, and if you've ever heard this, you know, presented before, pastors talk about it, um, or maybe you've done studies on it, it it's pretty well known. It's, it's, it's uh, in this area of Caesarea Philippi, which is actually, it's so far north of the northern area of Israel that they may have even left the kind of Israel area proper and entered into foreign lands, okay? The land of the area of the Gentiles. And in this area specifically, there is this, there is this place, and you, you can do the studies yourself, but it's been around for, you know, three or 4,000 years. And, I mean, it was around, uh, some scholars suggest, before the Egyptians. I mean, it's way back, you know, in the Assyrians. And, um, and it was this area of pagan worship where all these different gods would be worshipped. But one of the ones that was pretty, you know, uh, consistent name change from time to time, but it was the God of Pan. He was known to be a sexually deviant God. It was a perverse God. But the whole aspect of the God of Pan is in that, that you know, deviancy, uh, you know, the um, uh, perverse deviancy. But he was a God of terror. He would strike terror in the hearts of his enemies. In fact... Uh, it's where we get our word panic from. And, and what goes along a lot with, we found in, in counseling and deliverance ministries, people that are in perverse lifestyles, there's, a, there's a, uh, a deep anxiety that's going on in their life that's referenced you know, in this passage. And so they were in this area, there was false God worship there where they actually sacrificed their children. In fact, they would throw them down this big hole. You can, get, you can go read all about this, but we're not going to exhaust it. But there was a big hole there. They'd throw their kids, and it was called the Gates of Hades. Okay, So Jesus takes them there to have this conversation. 
to this place that would, that would be filled certain times of the year with these big pagan festivals and there would be worship that would take place. Okay, so that's where Jesus goes for his board meeting retreat. You know, kind of like our Las Vegas. Okay, so, so he goes there and when he gets there, Jesus says, hey, uh, I just throw this out. He begins it and he says, who do the people uh, say that I am? Come on, what's on the street? And I... I that's so significant, uh, seriously, because he's not talking about the world. He's talking about the people of God. It's amazing the amount of noise that we hear in our society, whether it's from social media, in the church. Everybody's got opinions, you know. And we always make a big deal about this in, in Tennessee with our group at our school. We're not into God opinions. Excuse me. We're not into our opinions, good opinions. We're into God opinions. We're not into good ideas. We're into God ideas, okay? See, we don't. We don't get the direction of the church based off of a collective board meeting where we put our minds together and strategize on the best way forward. Come on, we pray, we seek. God, where are you going? And we're going to get behind what you're doing. Those are two different things. And he's getting at this because he's saying, hey, who do the people say that I am? And they, they respond in verse 14. It's a great list. I mean, they're like John the Baptist, Elijah, Jeremiah, maybe one of the prophets. I mean, dude, it wasn't, that's a great list to be in. But it's wrong. And so Jesus gets really pointed and he says, what about you guys? An old loudmouth Simon. Now up until this point, Simon is, and it's, it's, he's called Simon Peter, so you know he is. But he's not been called Peter up to this point in the ministry. This is so neat. He's not been called Peter. In fact, Jesus gets really formal with him in the next verse. Uh, but Simon says, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus says, blessed are you. And listen to how formal he gets. Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah. Because this was not revealed to you by man, but by my father in heaven. And I said this earlier this week, I'll say it again. And if you remembered, I asked everybody to raise their hand. Who in here has ever been tempted by the enemy? Anybody here been tempted by the enemy? And I, and I said, if you've ever been tempted by the enemy, if you could hear the demonic, you can hear the Holy Spirit. I mean, you really can. I've met people that are like, well, I really can't hear. Yes, you can. Seriously, yes, you can. You can hear the Holy Spirit. And Simon, and it's so beautiful because he's not filled with the same, he's not filled with the Holy Spirit yet. But when you get around Jesus, and I love this, even you know what's so significant even non-Christians who experience conviction hear the Holy Spirit. I mean, come on, we can hear. That's your God-given right as a child of God to hear. Yes. So Jesus looks at Simon and says, dude, you've heard from my father. And listen to what he says. And I tell you that you are, you should translate this, you are now Peter. So there's been, there's been such a dynamic result having had an encounter with God that Peter will never be the same. Um, really quickly, I, I, I always describe it this way when I'm asked about my, to give my testimony. And people ask me, you know, when did you become a Christian? When were you saved? Those kinds of things. And um, I always describe it that I, 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 wasn't, I wasn't anticipating. I, I, I didn't really even listen. I had been taken to a Billy Graham crusade. and I was disappointed because we went to this big huge arena and I thought I was going to a basketball game so I was bummed out I didn't want to go hear some old guy yell about Jesus 
Seriously, that was my thought. And I just go all the way to the top. I did. I went past the yellow tape and set up in there and smoked cigarettes, kicked my feet up. I was a mess. Early 20s, 22, I think. And uh, yeah, I just turned 22. And um, man, he started preaching. And I had an, the way I always described it is I had an encounter with someone. It wasn't a figment of my imagination. I had an encounter with God. Seriously, I was never, I was never the same. And I went back and it wasn't theology. It wasn't, you know, people convincing me to do a better deal. I literally, I felt, I mean, my heart was beating. I thought I was having a heart attack. I was like, what in the world? You know? And my immediate response was to leave California. I was like, you guys are weird out here. I'm out of here. I'm going back to Indiana. People are normal. And I did. I got in my car. I drove 36 hours without stopping, got to Indiana, and he followed me. <laughs> and so I've talked about that, and you'll hear me reference it from time to time in my studies, but I had an encounter. And, dude, Peter will never get over this. He'll never get over this. Now, verse 18 needs some explanation, so you're going to have to kind of focus in with me. Jesus says, okay, you've had this change. Dude, you've heard from my dad. You're never going to, you see different. You're never going to be the same. That's what's so beautiful. See, we, we, we see teens, I'll just say this. We see kids that grow up in church. They're awesome, okay? They know when to, they learn certain etiquette and rules. They know when to stand up. They know when to sit down. You know, there can be fear and all this kind of stuff. Got to go to heaven, you, you know, so you need to go to church. Don't want to go to hell. And they're going to all these teaching and stuff. But we've wondered how they, don't, they can leave, and then, well, do I really believe that and what my parents believe and it's all about theology and this? See, all of that is indicative that they haven't had an encounter because if he knocks your socks off yes. and it comes back to a person, you're just different. So I, I'm not, I, I, I'm serious. I'm not interested at our group and I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit crazy and my group's crazy because we don't, I don't care. We have people come in and they're like, um, well, we kind of want to come, but you know, I'm, I'm a drug addict. I'm like, I don't care. And they're like, you're weird. This is not, even I know this is not right. You know, I'm like, I don't care. I want you to have an encounter Amen. with him. Because if you have an encounter, dude, you, everything else changes. Yes. So I'm not into fixing you. That's his job. So our job is, is to broker the encounter, which is what you and I were doing in that kitchen. See, it's brokering an encounter. I laugh, laid my hands on people, and I prayed for people for healing. And even if they're not healed, when you lay your, we're going to get to this later on in the passage, when you who are filled with the Holy Spirit lay your hands on somebody, they're never the same. Yes. Seriously, they're never the same. So he's talking about an encounter here. So he says, now, hey, you're Peter. In fact, you've got to chuck your old name. By the way, this is the same thing in the Old Testament. All these guys in the Old Testament, you got from, you know, Jacob to Israel, you know, you've got all these different name changes, okay? You've got Saul to Paul, it's New Testament, you've got all these different, when God, they have encounter with God, things are just different. Okay, so this is Peter now, not no longer Simon, he's Peter. He said, tell you that you are Peter, and then he says, on this rock, I'll build my church. Now let's pause there. There is a relationship between Peter and the rock, but they're two different Greek words. The word for Peter is the word Petros. The word for rock is Petra. You've probably heard this before, okay? Petros, and believe it or not, they're, they're, they're akin and linked together. But Petros is in the masculine, and pes, Petra is in the feminine. Now, 
And in the feminine, has the has the greater significance, just like within human beings. At least that's what my wife says. But the word Petra, which we translate rock, the primary translation of that word in secular Greek is actually cliff, which is literally a piece of a mountain. It's the foundation. And Petras is a chip. This is important. It's a chip or it's a piece. Petras is a piece off of the Petra. You ever heard that phrase? Oh, he's a chip off the old block. This is where that comes from. Seriously. Yeah, your son is a chip off the old block. You're the old block, brother. And your kids are a chip off you. Seriously, that's where this comes from. So when he says, hear this, when he says, hey, dude, you are, something has happened to you that you've had an encounter with the rock and you're changed. And you are now a product of that. You're a chip off the old block. You're not the big deal. You're not the block. You're a chip. You're a Petros off of the Petra. Now, this raises some questions because if Peter is not the one in whom Petros, Peter Petros, if Peter is not the one whom the church is built on, but Petra, the cliff, the big rock, if that's what the church is built on, well, what's the rock? Well, the only thing, and by the way, it's specific in the passage. He says, I tell you that you are Peter and on the rock, on the, it's specific, on this rock. So he's talking about in the passage is something specific. The only other thing in the passage that this, um, this pronoun can refer back to is the voice of the Father that comes out of heaven. So what, this is so neat. So what he says is, is Peter, dude, you've heard from my Father. That it's changed you. You're now a chip off of the block. You're a chip. You're a Petros off the Petra. And you know what? What I'm going to build my church on is going to be the voice that's coming out of, the, out of heaven. See, the gates of Hades cannot compete with what comes out of, out of the mouth of God. Seriously, the voice, hey, come on, man. Nothing the enemy can do can compete with what God says. And this becomes a principle throughout the New Testament. You and I do not listen to the enemy who is a liar and the father of lies. You are defined by truth. Yes. Dude, it's, it's the best news you ever hear. Amen. See, if the enemy comes to you, kids come to you, people come to you and say something about you, if that does not come in line with what he says about you, I don't listen. Because I value his opinion more than yours. Amen. It just doesn't bother me. And I used to struggle with that. And I was a fighting guy and went through this whole season of my life. I was, I was, I was bullied and picked on when I was a kid. And finally got old enough in the military. So I'm not, hey, you pick on me, I'm going to pop you. You know, finally grew and got bigger and, and all of that. And, and, but then when I was changed, their opinion just didn't matter as much it's just not true i know i know who i am i'm a chip off the old block so if someone comes to you and says dude you're this or you're that or you're that and come on man i i'm defined by how he sees me i'm defined my identity is what he says about me by the way new testament new covenant righteousness was demonstrated not by how well you and I do, but it's on what he says about us. And I can show you that. Abraham, okay, we're children of Abraham, who was the one that, like in Hebrews chapter 11, 
saved by faith. Okay, he's a, we're children of Abraham through faith. Abraham, Paul says, and James in chapter two said he was considered righteous because he believed. He had faith. He believed what God said about him. And do if you go back and look at that story, God comes to Abraham and says, "Hey, you may not know this, but uh, man, I, I singled you out." Uh, before the foundations of the world, and I want to bring about the redemption of a world through you and everyone that will come out of you. And Abraham says, hey, sounds good. (laughs) And he believed and was considered righteous. Wouldn't it be neat if what it means to be righteous is I just believe everything you say about me and I'm going to live like it. So tonight, listen to me, tonight I'm, I'm allowing the Bible to paint a picture of what you look like. And I just want you to believe it. And just walk out of here and live it. That's living correctly. It's not based on doing it perfect. It's based on living it correct. It's not based on living it correctly. It's just, I'm living it. I'm embracing it. This is what he says about me. Oh, I'm telling you, change your life if you embrace that. So what he's saying, again, verse 18, Peter's a chip off the old block. And God says... Listen, my church, which the enemy, that he points to the gates of Hades. He points to that pagan area. And he says, that will never overcome what comes out of heaven. And I'm building my church on what, what God says, what comes out of the throne room. And it changed your life, Peter. Then he comes into verse 19 and he says, and I will give those who are transformed by the voice coming out of heaven, what God says about us, out of his word. I will give those people the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whenever you run into keys in scripture, it's really, this is actually a really simple one to to go through. Keys always mean authority. You have the ability to open and shut. I mean, you really do. You have authority. You have authority. And the reason you have authority is because you're walking in, in insight and truth and revelation. And when you speak, it matters. He says, so I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And then he interprets what that means. Because immediately you're going to say, hold on, I have authority. What does it mean to have authority? Well, this is what he says. He says, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Now, first, first thing. What it sounds like is this authority and we'll use Peter as an example, this authority would say that Peter can go out and whatever he binds on earth, it's going to be bound in heaven. And whatever he looses on earth, it'll be loosed. It's almost like heaven is responding to what Peter does. Now, if that's the case, we're in charge. We're not being led by the Spirit, but we're binding and loosing. And God is honoring that. That's what it sounds like in our English. But that's not what it says. And I need you to look at your Bibles at this point. Because you're going to see in verse 19, two letters. In my translation, it's the letters E and F. It says, whatever you bind on earth will be. And in my translation, there's a little letter there. Is that, is that in your translation? I don't know if you can see that or not. And if you don't have your Bible, it's fine. You can look at it when you get home. But who has like a little letter or an anecdote after that? Several of you do. Okay. It's in every one of your translations. And in my translation, I can act. If you you have a paper, if you have those old paper documents, 
You can look at the bottom of the page and it'll tell you what that means. In mine, I just click on it and it actually says, instead of be, it says have been. So it should be, and by the way, that's the same before bound. And it's, if you go down to the next phrase, will be loosed. It's the same thing. Instead of be, it's have been. Do you see it? Isn't that neat? Okay, so this is how you should translate it. Everybody on the same page? This is really important. Let me read it correctly with this new, the way it should be translated. Whatever you bind on earth will have been bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will have been loosed in heaven. This is what they call a perfect, a future perfect grammar construction. Oh, that just didn't give you cold chills. I don't know what will. It's a future it's a future perfect grammar construction. Let me explain that. The future tense is something that happens in the future. That's easy enough. You're like, well, what's the perfect tense? So, well, really quickly, the, the future tense. So if it's future and if it's an action, it's something that's going to affect the future. Okay? My dad would say to me, when you get home, <laughs> okay, future surprise is waiting. Okay? So there's going to be something waiting for me in the future. Most of the time it was not comfortable. So that's what a future verb is. In the future, this will happen. Well, this is a future perfect. What's a future perfect? It's actually two different Greek terms. One's a future verb, one's a perfect term. The perfect tense is something, this is so neat, it's something that happened in the past that affects my present. So for instance, a perfect tense verb in Greek, in 1995, I had an encounter with God at a Billy Graham crusade and I've never been the same. In 1998, I had an encounter with Bill and I never got over it. <laughs> yeah, I do. We've been, I've, known the, I've known the guy forever, man. Known the guy for over 20 years. So I've had an encounter and I, I did, man. I had a counter with the guy and I've never been different. So what he's saying is there's this grammar construction of whatever you bind on earth, it will have already been bound in heaven, which affects our present and our future, which means what he's actually saying is, Peter, what you are binding on earth, it's already been bound in heaven, which tell in whatever you loose on earth it's already been loosed in heaven, which literally means what's the pattern that Peter, how did he know about Jesus as the Christ? He heard and released it. And so what he's saying is, Peter, the church is built on those of us who are hearing him speak. And when we hear, we release it. In fact, we don't just release it, we bind and we loose. And why do we bind and loose? Because it's already been bound or loosed in heaven. It's already been bound or loose in heaven. I'll give you an example of this. Um, I was at a lady's house. I told this story today uh, to a buddy of mine. I was in a lady's house. Uh, she's a doctor. Um, and she, they live in uh, Kansas. Uh, where do they live? They live in uh, somewhere in Kansas. Gard Gardner? Gardner, Kansas? Garnett, Kansas. Garnett, Kansas. She's a doctor. Her husband's an a, um, engineer. And I'm staying at their house. And I come downstairs, and I think we talked, I think I told you this story, but we came, I come downstairs, and she's crying. This is two years ago. 
and she's crying. And, uh, and I was a little bit awkward and I thought, you know, maybe I, I said, do I, do I need to go upstairs? I was supposed to come down. We were going to hang out and talk. And, and, um, and her husband says, no, 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 come on in. And her name's Wendy. And, uh, I sit down and, and she goes, I, I apologize. And, and, uh, Chris is her husband. And he said, Wendy's going blind in her right eye. And, uh, I, I heard it. I heard it as clear as a bell. Pray for her to be healed. And I totally chickened out. And that sounds so unspiritual, but wait till it happens to you. And uh, we talked about it. I said I'd be praying for him. And I went back upstairs. And I was like, Lord, you can't spring that on me. You know, and argued with him most of the night. And, you know, and he's like, I want you to pray with her. What if you don't come through? And, you know, I mean, all the fear and stuff. And, so the next morning I got up and decided if she was there, I was going to go pray for her. And I went downstairs and she'd already went to work. And, and we were doing, I was traveling on the district at that point. I was, it was called the awakening deal for the district. And I was going to these different churches throughout Kansas and Missouri. And that they had brought me in. I was staying in different places. So I didn't, I was going to this church. I didn't think she was going to actually be there. And so I told the Lord, I said, if she shows up, I'll pray with her. Dude, she showed up. I could not believe it. None of her family did. And she said in the front row, I promise. And I was thinking, and, he, and the Lord was like, hey, we, this could have been done yesterday in the house. Now it's going to be done in front of everybody. And I'm serious. It was absolutely, it was, it was really rattling. And I stood up, and I looked at her, and I knew. And I said, I was supposed to do this last night, and I chickened out, and I'm sorry. And I said, I, I think I heard the Lord wants to heal you. And I, I, I said, let's pray for you. And so I had several people come forward. And we laid our hands on her, and she was healed on the spot. And her, her, her sight returned to her eye. And it was really, I felt comfort, first off, in praying. Because one, I had heard. And it was my job to release that. That's loosing. I don't have to guess because he told me. Okay? He, he tells you, you release it. See, the pattern of the kingdom of heaven is you and I just don't run around and just do things. We listen. You walk in intimacy, which is why Paul says stuff like pray without ceasing. Now, and the reason we're over, we're looking at this this evening, this is your mandate by God. This is not just, this is not just a revival thing. This is going to the school, walking around, doing her thing. And the Lord says, go pray with that kid. Go encourage that kid. Go speak life over that kid. And you do so. I was rattled on Monday. And uh, Doug and Dee Dee's, man, I just, I went and hid in my room. The Lord was like, go downstairs. I'm like, I don't want to. And it was so evident. And then what happened today? And I haven't shared what happened today. But there, there are opportunities that come along. And we're just, it's Him. It's what He's doing. We're normal people. I'm a normal, look at me. I don't even dress correctly. I'm just a normal guy. I'm a normal guy. Seriously. Normal as they come. I don't even have a lot of education. I barely got out of college. Barely. By the skin of my teeth. I'm not overly spiritual. I just love Jesus. And when he speaks, I respond. That's the language. And Peter's no different. That guy was a handful. He had a mouth. Always. Dude, right after this passage, Jesus calls him Satan. Isn't that hysterical? See, wouldn't it be something if we just went out into our world and we were so tight with him that whenever he spoke, we'd just respond? Yes. 
And people would be set free. Lives would be forever changed. This is normal kingdom living. Every day. And it's so interesting. These are action, which literally, we see, we're on the offensive. We're supposed to go into our area and bind things. You don't have permission to operate here. I was uh, with this uh, girl in, um, oh, well, I, it was in June, and I was preaching the West Texas District Camp Meeting, the family camp. And the mom had come to camp. She was, could only come for three days. And she told her daughter, I want you to come with me. Uh, you can't go to teen camp, which was the next week, which I was speaking at also. And she said, I want you to hear Jeremiah. And I knew her from high school because I'm old. And she now has uh, a middle school daughter. And her daughter didn't want to come to family camp around a bunch of old people all week. And, and uh, she's like, there's a pool. And it's actually a really cool campground. And so the daughter fought her until she finally said, like, if, if I can bring a friend, I'll, I'll stop complaining. Mom said, okay. So she brought this girl. So this is so neat. One of the services, um, God just rocks this girl. She's probably 13 or 14. How old are you? About your age. And this girl comes up and there's altars or people are praying. It's, it was, it's just a really neat service. And this girl comes up and she's just, she's literally trembling. She's shaking. And I didn't know what, what I was getting into. And, and she said, can I talk to you? And she was really standoff, and, and she literally was physically shaking. And I said, sure. And um, I grabbed one of the ladies, is actually Amanda Pettit, who was, uh, she used to be a missionary uh, uh, overseas, and now she does inner city women's ministry in, in Dallas. And so we sat down with this girl in the front row, just began to talk to her. And, you know, and, and Amanda was asking her, would you like to give your heart to Jesus? And the girl was like, no, no, I do not. And she was filled with distrust and all this kind of stuff. And she was asking all these questions and she was clearly, like clearly something was going on with her. And, and Amanda was kind of leading the conversation and I'd, I'd ask every now and then, but she was very defensive and untrusting and, and you know, I just, what do you believe and what is this all? And I finally just, I just, I got a piece about it and I looked at her and I said, listen, I, I'm not interested in debating or, you know, describing or, I, I just put him on the spot. And I said, uh, would you like to meet him? And she just, her eyes got big and she looked at me and then she kind of looked in the air and, and she goes, what? I said, do you want to just meet him? You don't have to serve him. You don't have to, you know, swear allegiance. Just how about I introduce him to you? Yeah. And I just, I put him, I put her, I put the Lord on the spot. Yeah. And uh, she said, Okay. And I took her hand and I took Amanda's hand and Amanda took her other hand and we said a little circle there and I just prayed and I said, Jesus, would you introduce yourself to this young girl? Would you come in the power of your presence and would you do to her what you did to me in 1995? And I kid you not, all of her trembling stopped. And I finished praying and I opened my, my, my eyes and I looked at her and she was staring at me and she had this little smile on her face. And I went, do you, do you sense that? And she goes, and she gave her heart to Jesus. Amen. And what it was, is I was, I was binding fear in the name of Jesus. See, we do that in our houses. See, I anoint, you ever anointed and prayed over your house? See, Satan, you, I'm a child of God. In the name of Jesus, you do not have permission to operate in my house. I take thought. I take captive every thought to the obedience. That's, that's binding you do not have permission. 
Free people from bondage. Free people from lies. In Georgia, and I don't want to inundate you with stories, but in Georgia in June or July, I prayed for this little, oh my word, she was probably 80, late 80s. She had come to me and she had um, had an addiction and a man uh, was way back in World War II and her husband went to war. And while he was gone, she had an affair with her next door neighbor. And then she, he, he like took advantage of her and there was other men and all this stuff. And she was horrified and all of this and, and devastated where her husband came back from the war and it stopped. And she looked at me and she goes, I've asked for forgiveness ever since. And I just know that God hasn't forgiven me. And I said, lie. I said, I didn't do that because she would probably had a heart attack. But I said, <laughs> I said, hey, I said, that's a lie. That is an absolute, and I, I release you from that lie in the name of Jesus. And she just cried. She just started crying. She was free. That's, that's loosing. Yes. See, we, we sometimes read this and you know, buying and loose and we think it's really spiritual. It's not. You're going to meet people that live under the lies of the enemy. I'm stupid. I'm ugly. I'm done. I'm worthless. I'm used. That's a lie. I can show you that's a lie. That is not what comes. That's not how he sees you. And you bind that and you do. You bind it in the name of Jesus. Why? Because it's already been bound. He has a plan for their life before the foundation of the world. And you and I have been called. Yes. <laughs> Which is incredible. What if we did that? What if we lived like that? What if we bound? What if we, what if we were a, literally, if we weren't just hiding in our little churches and just hiding and waiting for Jesus to come and save us. But what if we were literally a threat to the kingdom of the world that's outside those walls? I want to live like that. I want to walk into Walmart and have the demonic realm go, oh, he's here. He's here. Why why wouldn't we live like that? See, I don't think that's arrogance. I don't think that's pride. I think that's the common right of every child. I, th- I think you and I walk down to our jobs every day. You ever done that? I actually did this in, in uh, Lebanon, Tennessee. I went into Walmart about two years ago, and I, I walked in, walked down the aisle, and I just, I just felt love for Walmart and all the Walmartians who go there. <laughs> and I just stopped, and I did. I said it out loud. I said, Jesus, I take spiritual responsibility for this store and I tracked down uh, one of the managers and I said I'm a pastor in town and I said would you mind if I come in and I won't do it out loud or whatever you know I said do you mind if I just pray for your store he goes I'd love that I said you give me spiritual authority to do that he said I do I was like maybe a mistake brother because <laughs> once you have authority you give me spiritual authority. I do that. that uh, today, we went to a, a, a restaurant where the pastor's son works. And the lady comes up and she's serving. She's so sweet and all this. And she's telling me her backstory and all that. And I said, do you go to church anywhere? No. And, and I was like, man, dude, he could, that could be your pastor. And she's like, well, I work double shifts. And I said, I didn't say you had to come to church. I said, but you could say, hey, I give you spiritual authority in my life to pray for me. And she was like, yeah, that's a good idea. And I was like, sucker. <laughs> yeah, because as soon as you give someone spiritual authority in their life, 
I give you spiritual authority to literally bind and loose what's going on in my life. (laughs) That's what we do. They don't know what they're giving you. But then when you pray, you have authority to move in their life. You ever prayed for anybody that doesn't happen? Nothing happens? That's probably why. Go up and say, hey, you know, and I want to be your pastor. And it's great. You don't have to give me any money. You don't have to go to church. You don't have to talk to me. Just give me spiritual authority to pray for you. And they'd be like, fine. I'll do whatever you say just to get away from me. Got to be too. That'd be okay too. Wouldn't that be phenomenal? And that's how, literally, this is, it's not hope, I mean. Father, we love you this evening. And I do. I, I pray for Cloverdale. I pray for Pastor Bill. I pray for this congregation that we would wake up, that we would open our eyes and we would believe everything that Matthew chapter 16 verses 13 through 20 says about us. That we can literally impact our communities in the name of Jesus. Everything that goes on in the remainder of this service, may your hand be on it. In the name of Jesus we pray. And everybody said? Amen.